Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shane needs to be in perfect the the premiers of 1992. The 1994 premiers. Premiers. The 2018 AFL Premiership team. The West Coast Eagles. G'day everyone. Welcome to the Big Footy Eagles podcast for another week. The 2020 AFL season is right and coming up on the show, we will run through all of our season predictions for the Eagles this year. We're going to talk the latest insanity from AFL House because I'll tell you what, it's been a good week for insanity from AFL House. And of course, we will preview West Coast's clash with the Gold Coast Suns coming up this Sunday. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and I'm joined this week by Miguel Sanchez. Miguel, good to have you back. How are things heading into round one? Yeah, it's getting exciting. It's getting real. We've just had the first medical subs for the uh, the round. We've just had the first uh, starting position warning in the Richmond-Carlton game. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's getting very real now. It's the footy that we grew up loving. We're all here for it. Warning signs and starting positions and medical signs. It's all happening. Keys, I cannot wait to turn the floor over to you when it comes time for us to talk medical subs because I think that could be a classic rant. But until we get to then, let me just say welcome back to the show. Yeah. Uh, AFL just outstanding, aren't they? They find you and intriguing ways to the game oh well there you go that's a little bit of sizzle a bit of teaser for later on so stay tuned for that one guys because i think we're all going to get fairly stuck in on the new medical sub rule that was introduced uh what 24 hours before the season or something like that but anyway yeah we'll get to that in due time no no hang on don't exaggerate sorry 28 hours before the start of the season you know what steve gill that's my fault those four hours there they make all the difference that's my fault apologies on that one but yeah we will get Properly stuck into that one in just a moment. Uh, As always, guys, thank you very much for listening. You can share the pod with a mate on the eve of the season. It would be really appreciated. We always love growing the audience, and you can also get in contact with us through Twitter, Facebook, Big Footy. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts, at WCBF Pod. Leave a rating, leave a review, and we'd love to hear from you. Guys, we'll start the episode with some season predictions because, as we said, the men's season is underway. We're going to talk women's footy in just a moment as well. But to start with, last year, 2020, it was a bit disappointing. And I think 2019 was pretty disappointing for some as well. So it's about time for the Eagles to really make another cracking charge at an AFL premiership, or it might be time for us to sort of reassess where the club is at. Now, with that in mind, guys, I thought we'd go through and pick out a couple of things, some ladder positions, some individuals that are set to impress. Miguel, I'll start with you, and I will start with ladder position. Where do you see the Eagles coming this year on the heels of a season that really didn't go accordingly to plan? Uh, Well, we should be aiming for the top four as a minimum, I think. Um, Obviously, you know, there's all the unknowns. It depends on injuries. It depends on... Uh, whether we get a good run with fixturing and uh, and avoid any sort of uh, COVID-related shenanigans, but yeah, yeah that's sh- already a good one. Let's let's assume that everything stays as planned. I know they're fixturing in, yeah. in sort of blocks, but let's assume it's it's fly in, fly out, normal home and away season, and and no bizarre hubs or any major interruptions, really. Yeah, well then, yeah, then it's just the uh, the injuries of the unknown. But um, yeah, certainly we should be aiming for top four. So we get uh, 12 games at Optus, two against the Dockers, and we should be really winning, I'd say, 10 of them, just with the advantage we get at home. Uh, so that's 10 wins. And then uh, if you win half your away games, that's 15 wins. That should be enough to get you into top four. So um, that's that's what we should be looking at. Yeah, there's some uh, – the way the fixtures sit at the moment, there's some tough ones that we've got. Uh, we've got Geelong at uh, Cadinia Park, which is a bit of a hoodoo for us. We've got Collingwood at the MCG, although we've done all right in those lately. Brisbane at the Gabba, which is the final round, and they'll, they'll probably schedule it as a night game. But then there's some winnable ones as well. We could actually get – we've got Sydney at the SCG at the moment and um, could actually break a, a very long drought there. So top four, um, then, you, then you're looking at getting into the prelim. Obviously, if you, you get that prelim at home, that would be ideal. But 
um, either way, uh, win the prelim, we're into the grand final. So, yeah, I've got pretty uh, reasonable expectations for the year, I think. Yeah, pretty high. I, I would have to echo them largely as well. Third or fourth, I think, is is pretty doable. Without going through the fixture line by line, you know, you think you hold home field advantage when you're at Optus. You know, you, you hold on to your serve in that in a regard. The Eagles played very, very well at Optus last year. So you might drop a game, two games, something like that. But if you win 10 of 12, like you say, that set you up beautifully snag some away games and suddenly you're looking pretty positive. So I have to think, yeah, Miguel, echo those thoughts. And once you get to a prelim, I think we've said it loads of times throughout the pod, you get into a prelim, more or less anything can happen. You know, you just do your best. You put you put your hat in the ring with that one. Keys for yourself, is there a ladder position the Eagles should be looking at this year? And, and how deep do you think they can go into September? I think history tells us we definitely need to be top four and probably top two. You know, the two years we made top two, we made the grand final. So that's under Simpson. And then the the years, other than those two years, we've sort of finished fifth or sixth and have not gone past the second week. So you really want to be top four. It's probably more important for us than the Victorian clubs. But even for them, it's it's still pretty important as well. I mean, the top fours, you know, what is it? You know, the Bulldogs, the one team that have won it from outside the four in the current finals system. So, so you want to be there. I think realistically, you know, we're probably finishing somewhere between third and sixth, I think. I think if we're finishing below sixth, you've got a pretty disappointing season. And then I think if you can get if you can get above third, well then you've really you've really set your season right up. I'm just not quite sure, particularly with you know missing the first few games and a few little things. I'm not I'm not convinced we're gonna get enough wins to get top two because you're probably looking at probably at least sixteen, maybe as many as seventeen. I'm not sure that's that's in our within our reach, but um, yeah, somewhere in that, somewhere in there. Yeah, so it sounds like we're all pretty much in line on a bit of a best case scenario, I suppose, for the Eagles, and a realistic one we would hope. But yeah, we're all looking at a top four, top two, of course, as we've discussed many, many times. It does make all the difference for the Eagles. Now, for the club to reach those heights, Miguel will obviously need some guys to stand out. We'll need some stars to step up. And with that comes award season, you know, comes guys getting All-Australian nominations and maybe even getting so far as Brownlows, Coleman's, these sorts of things. Let's talk about that. Let's talk All-Oz first up. Is there anybody in the club that you think is poised to join the All-Oz team for the first time? And and who do you think is going to retain their place out of the guys we've seen over the last few years really make their positions their own in the All-Australian side? Uh, Yeah, well, there's a lot of of candidates. We had um, a couple of... uh, First-time All-Australians last year. Um, we got some you know, perennial candidates. Nick Nat might be asking a bit much for him to back up his stunning 2020, but clearly he's the most influential player on our list. So if he does go back-to-back in uh, in the All-Australian, then that would be a huge boon for us. Liam Ryan, I think, first-time All-Australian last year, um, started the preseason really well. Um, he's just been his, – his rise has been stratospheric. So, yeah, you could easily see him going again. Um Tim Kelly, I don't think, was an All-Australian at Geelong. He might have gone close, but he's one that, yeah, uh, we didn't see the best of him last year. If he has a big year for us this year, it probably means that we're travelling really well, so I'd really like to see him get in there. Gaff's the obvious candidate from the midfield. Um, you know, quite a few down back, um, and Darling um, might be a chance if he has a big year because I think he'll be our, um, our focal point the forward line this season. So yeah, I'll, 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 just, I'll just pick 10 or 12 for you. All right, so we'll have the full All-Australian side will be West Coast. Congratulations, come on down. Yeah, known winger Tim yep. Kelly was named on the wing in the 2019 All-Australian side. Uh, so that's another challenge when you pick All-Australians. You have to factor in how many positions are going to be taken up by midfielders and all of this sort of stuff. Keys, Gaff I agree with from Miguel and Ryan I agree with as well. That sort of almost feels like their spot to lose in a way. You know, they start so entrenched in the conversation for All-Australian, and a lot of it is about media attention. Tell me about this. What about a guy like Duggan, given what I've just said? Because you get some midfield minutes and you start raising a few eyebrows and turning a few heads. Could Duggan sneak his way into a half-back spot if he's also playing some pinch-hit midfield or, or getting some early-season midfield minutes, getting a bit of attention? And then, of course, Keys, beyond Duggan, is there anyone else you think is poised to, uh, to crack the AA side this year? Yeah, I think Duggan probably... He'd have to have a really, really good year. I've, I've got a view, long-held view with the All-Australian. For the most part, you need to have one really breakout year before you get picked. And I think often you'll find a player will get 
just the year they get picked is sometimes they wouldn't play as well as the year before when they should have got picked. Mark Lacrosse um, syndrome. Yeah, yeah. There's I, I you could probably go through a bunch of players, not just for us, but across the competition where. You know, they've had a year where they were probably really unlucky to miss out and then that's got them on the radar and they've got in the following year. So I think Ryan's Ryan was one who's broke that mould in that prior to last year, I don't you know, you couldn't really say he was in the conversation for all Australian, but he, that back half of twenty twenty he really he shone really brightly. I well I think that's an exceptional type player and I don't know that Duggan's got that kind of excitement to him to to get noticed sufficiently to break in to a to he'll a also field he'll struggle to get noticed without his mullet as well. Yeah, oh, don't remind me. How dare you? I think other than that, you know, I'd like to think uh, Tommy Barras if he can really put it all together. I think he's got the ability to be a all Australian centre half back or full back, whether that's this year or whether he actually reaches that potential. Who knows? But if he has a really big year, he could he could put his name up there. And Meg touched on Jack Darling, and I think if if Darling can recapture that form from 2018 before he did his ankle, then I think he'll be a lock for the All Australian. And I think if he recaptures that form, then I think we're a long way to um, making sure we actually do get top four or higher. So those those two, if those two can have big years, that'll go a long way for us. That segues beautifully into the next segment or the next section, I should say, which is who's going to lead the club in goal kicking because it's been an award or an accolade that Josh Kennedy's held pretty tightly over the last you know five, six, seven years. Darling's bobbed up here and there. Ryan didn't quite crack it last year, but he did get on a great goal-scoring tear, and we've seen in the preseason they've got no issues using him as a big lead-up forward as well in the absence of guys like Kennedy and Darling or you know on maybe games where they're not at 100%. I still think it's Jack Darling's spot to lose. I was actually very surprised that Kennedy held it away from him last year. So, Miguel, for me, it's Jack Darling. Is it between those three guys? Is there another Smokey I'm not thinking of? Or who do you think is going to claim top goal scorer this year? Uh, Jermaine Jones. No. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Tommy Swift. Yeah, probably. I'd, yeah, I'd pick Darling. Um, they were the three names that I was thinking of. Uh, Kennedy, I think, will miss a, probably a few games here and there. Um, just through through rest, if nothing else, and Ryan might be up the ground a bit more, so um, might affect his uh, his goal scoring tally, but not his All Australian chances. So yeah, Darling, I think is just about a lock if he stays fit. Darling, Kennedy, or Ryan, keys? Yeah, I'd pretty much echo what Mig said. Either that or Rioli just goes on absolute tear in round twenty three. <laughs> just sets all time records. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. Uh, Keys, we'll keep it with you for the next one. Breakout player. I think it's fair to say that Liam Ryan was the breakout player from last year. Can we see somebody else, another small forward, another mid-sized forward emulate that? I know we've talked about Jermaine Jones a lot uh, this off-season and, and, and on the board amongst ourselves. Is there someone that you think is poised to really take a step and lock up their place in the Eagles' no-brainer best 22 this year? The name that sort of keeps popping up from within the club and a few from outside is, is Oscar Allen some pretty big raps on him coming out. For a guy that I, probably five or six weeks ago, I wasn't convinced he was an, a lock for best 22, but it looks like the club are going to just lock him in as that third tall forward and rotate him back on occasion. So he would be the one that I think is most likely to, um, you know, I think he's played about 30, 30 odd games now, I think, off the top of my head. So he's starting to get to that stage and he's, he'll still get, with Kennedy and Darling, he's still going to get the third, probably the third best defender. So, he, yeah, he's probably one that I'd be looking at as to really elevating his game and, and have people thinking, yeah, this guy's going to be really, really good. Maybe not going to the same level, but um, Xavier O'Neill, I think, is one that when we get to teams, I think we'll all have him in the round one team. And um, I think that's a really good launching pad for him. Um, his development last year was really good. He didn't look out of place at all on the side and the games that he played. Bit of a Shuey clone. Maybe doesn't have the explosiveness that Shuey does, but he's um, a neat midfielder who makes good decisions, um, can kick off either foot. And uh, yeah, if he gets a bit of a run as his as his confidence grows, I think he'll um, he'll cement his spot in the side. I'm not sure if I've missed the boat on this one. It's it's not a breakout to the level of a, of a Liam Ryan last year, but Jake Waterman broke out last year, I think, in a, in a pretty significant way and. Started to convince a lot of Eagles fans that he belonged, that that half-forward role and, and link-up player moving quite high up the ground was a role that he was quite suited to. We saw him occasionally swung down back as sort of an emergency option. You know, this is a guy who yeah, pretty much averages a goal a game over his career thus far. 
39 games for the Eagles and unfortunately injured for round one. I think it's fair to say everybody would have had him playing in round one were he available. So uh, he's had a bit of bad luck when it comes to injury at the start of seasons. If he can work his way back into the side, which he's shown an ability to, I think Jake Waterman could be onto a really big year and kind of lock in that spot for the foreseeable future is, yeah, that's Jake Waterman's half forward flank. That's, that's his job. That's where he belongs. Moving it on now to the very, very top of the list, the best and fairest. Guys, we've seen this shared amongst a number of players over the last few years. A couple of the recent winners out injured to start the season, so they're going to give a head start to a few other players. Miguel, who do you think is going to walk away as the club's best and fairest when all is said and done after season 2021? Um, I'm going to double down on Kelly having a big year, um, and I'll so I'll put him in there because, yeah, we really want him to, to hit the heights that we saw at Geelong, and, and that'll carry us forward this year. Um, going to be tough for him early on with Yo and Shuey missing out. He's going to be copping basically all the tagging attention. Uh, he got a fair bit of it last year, and that, that probably uh, contributed to his down year. But yeah, I'll um, I'll back him. I'm going to echo that. TK for me, short and sweet. It's some um, you know we, we've seen the heights he can hit, and we've seen in games. I think the St Kilda game springs to mind really, where the rotating cast around him hasn't always been the best last season due to injuries, number of factors. And okay, he doesn't always deal with the tag so well, but he's shown that he can. Now, can he put it together for a full year? I'm I'm crossing my fingers and hoping for the best on that one. Keys, who walks away with the medal at the end of the year? Well, before both of you started talking, I was going to say Tim Kelly, but then that just sounds <laughs> like an echo chamber. So, um, Liam Ryan, I reckon he's, if he gets 22 games in or 20, well, we want him to get 25 in. Yeah, he could... Uh, he could really jump in. I'm going to go Ryan as a as a smoky. A bit of news this week before we get into some more round one focused analysis. And the Eagles have finally, finally, on the eve of the first week of the season, named their leadership group for the year. Keys, we've seen Luke Shuey retain his spot as captain, obviously. Uh, McGovern is vice captain. Nick Natanui and Josh Kennedy, deputy vice captains, for whatever that means. Uh, it's a smaller group than last season. We saw Yo move out of the group. We saw Darling and also Gaff come out of the leadership group. Is there anything to read into that? What do we make of it? No major surprises in this group. So it was announced. What did you make of the leadership group announcement? Yeah, West Coast taking a leaf out of the AFL's book and, and leaving an announcement till last minute. But I'm a big fan of small leadership groups rather than um, you know half the squad in there. So going to four, I, you know, I'm on board with that. Having said that, I think the thing that strikes you is that it's a pretty mature leadership group. You know, they're all 30 or above thereabouts. So it's a, you know it's a bit there. I, I would have thought there was an opportunity to have Darling there instead of perhaps Kennedy because it seems like they've sort of got. You know, sure, he's a midfielder. Each of the other three, they've got one from each line sort of thing. Governor the back line, that in the middle, Kennedy as a forward. So I would maybe have liked to have seen Darling there instead of JK, but not that I've seen it this year. But the times when I've gone to training, it's quite apparent that Kennedy is, he is really the leader of that forward line. Uh, so I imagine that's why he's sort of there as the captain of the forward line, basically. And turning our attention to the AFLW, we saw a fantastic result uh, for the Eagles this week. They managed to notch up their second win for the season. It's something that we predicted or, or sort of previewed when that fixture was announced because they're playing a cat side that wasn't great and they've got a couple of very winnable games on the on the horizon as well. So it could actually turn into a, quite a bumper season for the Eagles program. Miguel, 53-14, to 14, a massive win for the women. Their highest score... Their first ever multiple goal scorer in a game, and they actually had three of them. Imara Cameron did it in about five minutes in a burst, and we saw Grace and Neve Kelly also chip in two goals. So everything was great in uh, AFLW land for the Eagles until out of the blue, Captain Emma Swanson has been slapped with a two-week suspension. It ends her season, given that there's just two weeks to go, and what looked to me like one of the best Shepherds you'll ever see, probably something they'll put on all their marketing packages as well because it was a huge hit, Looked very legal, though. Instead, it's been graded careless, high impact, high contact, and uh, the Eagles will be without Swanee for the final two games of the season. Bit of a bit of a wild ride for the AFLW program this week. Yeah, um, like you, was really surprised because yeah, it, did, it looked like a great bump, um, looked like a fair bump. It wasn't even a free kick or anything. It happened right in front of the umpire. So, um, yeah, the, the charge sort of came out of nowhere. The only thing I can think to explain that is that maybe there was a, a bit of a head clash as well. 
because there is that that rating of the high contact and yeah, certainly didn't look like anything from the body went high. So maybe there was a head clash and we have maybe not so much lately, but a couple of seasons ago, the AFL were cracking down a lot in the, the men's game on, on those bumps. And you know, if you if you elect to bump and you get them high, even if it's accidental, then you're going to go. Um, so that was the only thought I had. Uh, and the other one is possibly you know, Swanee's been looking uh, like a bit of a winged duck in the last few weeks with her. Um, she's been troubled by a shoulder. So maybe the club has decided this is a good opportunity to just uh, park her for the season and get her some surgery. Yeah, it's the only reason I can, only two reasons I can think of to explain it because, yeah, it looked like a, looked like a legitimate bump and the, the decision to um, to accept the two-week suspension seemed to come basically at the same time as the... Uh, yeah. yeah. It didn't take any time to think about it. So, yeah, that, that just makes me think there's something like that behind it. A bit of a staggering one, but a good opportunity for some other players to step up. You know, we've got some youngsters there and we've seen Michaela Bowen take strides. I mean, Neve Kelly on the weekend had probably her best game for the club, or on Monday, I should say. But the Eagles women's program is definitely heading in the right direction. They deserve a few more wins. Great for them to notch up two for the season. And hopefully they can finish with four. That would be just a fantastic end to the season. The one thing I will say on this, Miguel, and and I think I hinted at it a second ago, I am going to be livid when this bump shows up in every Fox footy AFLW promo because they always like to highlight how tough the AFLW can be, which is fair enough, absolutely, you know, it is. And anyone who watches it seriously can can tell you, yeah, there's there's your massive hits, you get your big marks, you get everything. But we've seen it with Nick Nat burying a guy, getting a week, and then, you know, a month later it shows up on a Fox footy promo. If you're suspending somebody for something, I don't want to see it used to sell the game because that was as good of a hit as I will ever see. And, uh, yeah, pretty frustrating one to, to have that one penalised. Right, moving on with the show, I'm pretty sure this is the reason half of our listeners uh, have tuned in this week. The footy analysis can get stuffed. We are here to yell at clouds. This is a big one. The AFL have introduced an injury substitute for the 2021 season. They have done so, Miguel, where did we land? 28 hours before bounce down? Something like that. The day before Something the like season. Uh, they were set to call the clubs on Tuesday. Then they elected to knock that one back. No rush, gents. We'll call them on Wednesday instead. So, in short... If a player is concussed, they can be subbed off. That, that's, that element of I love because you've got to protect concussions and I completely understand it. The other thing that has been fought for and has evidently been achieved, if a player is injured, they can now be subbed off as well so that at least for the very first injury of the game, clubs will not be down a man on the bench. Now, Keys, this one is loophole city because the concussion, if you come off concussed, you already have to miss 12 days. The way the injury works, it is up to the club doctor to determine that the injury will likely keep the injured player out for 12 days. It doesn't have to. At a later date, they can revise that down. But just on game day, during the high-pressure, you know, time-sensitive environment, yeah, I reckon that injury is going to keep him out for 12 days. No worries. Off you come, and we'll send on some fresh legs in the second half. Keys, the floor is yours. What do you make of the process of this one? What do you make of the ruling? And how long do we have to wait until clubs exploit it? Oh, yeah, Fucking hell. Um, I'm already having fun. If there wasn't enough reason for me to hate this rule, I read an article by Damien Barrett of all people this morning, and I agree with him. So they feel maybe fucking do that as well. There's so much about this rule that is just stupid. And from this time a week ago, it wasn't even being discussed, I don't think. It came up in a coach's phone call, I think, last week either Wednesday or Thursday of last week, which, by the way, just was supposedly all the coaches, but it didn't include Damien Hardwick. It didn't include Luke Beveridge, who's come out and said, well, I didn't agree to it. I don't like it. It also didn't include John Longmuir. What's his name? The, the female food. Justin. Justin Longmuir. Justin. Um, Friend of the podcast, Justin Longmuir. G'day, Justin, if you're listening. And Simpson, because AFL in something that AFL only do, Schedule a meeting at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Saving Time. So it was 5 o'clock in the f***ing morning over here. So no wonder Simpson and Longview weren't bloody involved in it. So there's your last three premiership coaches not involved in the discussion. And it came, basically, if you read Barrett's article, it was the angry little freaking leprechaun from Hawthorne who was pushing it. <laughs> um, and this again shows this. He has an unhealthy influence on AFL decision-making. We saw last year 
that a post-game rant from him overnight changed the interpretation of the holding ball rule. And now he's, you know, got up on his six-foot ladder so he can be the same height <laughs> as everybody else and fought for a rule that a week ago no one was even talking about. So you've given something that's quite significant in terms of its ramifications. They've pushed through inside a week and dropped on the club's well, yeah, you know, the grand total of 20, if it was 28 days before the season started, that would be short. 28 hours. I mean, it's just, it's a nonsense. I mean, there's all, there's all sorts of things aside from, you know, the, the ability to have it rotted because, you know, if you take an injured player off, he can play the following week and they say, oh, well, you know, we can, what are you going to do? You're going to say to the doctor, well, no, your medical opinion on the day of the game was wrong. Am I right in saying you, know, you need to provide evidence on the Monday following the game, i.e. if you play tonight, Thursday, when we're recording this, Richmond Carlton, you know, Carlton's second ruck goes off with an injured ankle and they get a runner on and that runner helps them run over the top and get a win. So they've got, okay, he's injured his ankle and I reckon he'll likely be out for 12 days. That's Thursday, that's Friday, that's Saturday, that's Sunday, that's Monday. Send him for scans. Oh, actually, it didn't come up that bad. We'll nurse him through training. He actually might be all right. You send that to the AFL and the AFL is going to go, oh, yep, tick it off. At the time, they probably thought it was a serious injury. Is that is that honestly what they're telling us the process is? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and I, and I think some of the beverages comments today was that, you know, they haven't even given the clubs the detail of the process they're supposed to follow. You know, they've, got, they've thrown this on the medical staff and said, now you've got to do this. Yeah, then there's, you know, this is where the bit where I agree with Damien Barrett. You've actually just made a unilateral decision that a guy, 23rd guy, gets named. He gets credited for a match, whether he runs on the field or not. He gets a full match payment. So given that I don't know what the, the match day payment is, but it's probably in the order of you know, somewhere between three and five grand. So every club's going to have to now find an extra, you know, somewhere between sixty dollars and $100,000 a season to play a player. I believe it was Jake Please. Nile. Somebody estimated yesterday, with full access to the information, estimated it's going to cost clubs over three million dollars this season in match payments, and that's all outside the cap. Yeah, so it's outside the cap. Not three million dollars still, each. Still gotta, surely. No, no, sorry, total, total, cumulative. Yeah, it's still got to come from clubs' finances at a time where mm-hmm. every single club is struggling financially. Yep. Every single club has had a cap on football department spending because. They want to make sure the clubs are financially viable, and then AFL make a decision on a whim to say, "Yep, yeah, we're just going to pull three grand out of the system to pay for a guy to sit in a stand in a fucking Kermit suit." It's, I mean, just no thought process at all. Let's take the face value. Let's take it at three million, like it was written. I think it was in the Age as three million dollars cumulative over the course of the season. Divvy that up amongst the 18 clubs. It's 166 grand. Now, I don't know what every club did, but the Eagles have an assistant coach pulling double duty and coaching the women's. You're telling me you couldn't get one, maybe two women's coaches, you know, for 166 grand, or you couldn't get an extra assistant for your men's program, something like that. Financially, it makes no sense. Miguel, I understand why we need a concussion sub. We desperately do. I get it. The Eagles fans, more than almost anyone should know this with, with the Venable situation, all it takes is one knock, even one knock handled well can really set somebody back. So I get that. Then you got people going, well, why is it fair if you come off with a concussion? But what if a guy breaks his leg? Nobody wakes up at 50 years old, unable to function as a human being because at 25, they broke their leg. You know, whereas if you get a knock on the head at 25, it might seriously set you back for your whole life. I'm inclined to just say, suck it up. It's the nature of it. Some weeks you'll be up on your rotation. Some weeks the opponent will have someone hurt. Some weeks you'll be down. Nature of the game, you know? It's not a protection measure. It's about looking after the coaches. There's so many directions we could take this in. Key sort of hinted at it there. What do you reckon about the concept of a guy debuting without ever setting foot on the field? Oh, God, is that gonna, I hadn't even thought that would be a possibility. It was bad enough when they were debuting as the sub and, you know, and they spend you know, three quarters, the first three quarters of their debut sitting on the bench in the green vest and running up and down the boundary before they come on. But that's, yeah, that's even worse that you have the... Um, the 23rd man, if he hasn't played AFL, he's actually named and he debuts and then doesn't actually ever take the field. I hadn't even considered that. This is, yeah, the most annoying thing about this, I think, is that it's um, particularly the concussion side of it. It's probably a fair enough rule. But why you know, why wasn't it talked about in October, November last year? It's not like you know concussion has suddenly become 
a big AFL issue in the last month. Not to be flippant, but have I missed yeah. anything in terms of concussion? Obviously, I know that we had Zach Langdon, and I can't speak to saying, you know, I can't say I've been watching uh, all the AFL preseason games by any stretch, but has there been anything major beyond Zach Langdon by way of concussion that wasn't information we had in October? Has there been a spate no, of I them think that so. I haven't noticed? There's nothing that, I mean, I don't, I don't even think it was needed for the concussion. I mean, a concussion protocol, the 12 days, remember that? I think that's good. But I don't even, if God gets knocked out, gets knocked out. You know, that's, that's why you've got 22. No, but I understand where they're coming from, from the point of view of you don't want clubs to feel that they're being in any way penalised by looking after the bloke. If somebody snaps their leg, they're not going to try and play on because they know their leg is snapped. And you're down a rotation, but, you know, no one's going to try and soldier on through a torn ACL, realistically. Whereas someone with a head knock could go either way. I I don't mind that they've said to the clubs, no, no, do the right thing, park this guy, and you won't be penalised. You can have fresh legs. So I, I... I'm not the biggest fan of substitution in footy. I don't. I obviously didn't work last time around. But as it comes to concussion, I sort of get it. The process is still horseshit, but I still get why they care about concussion. Yeah, no, that's fair. But the game, it's like, well, when they brought the concussion, that's something they should have thought about. Absolutely. I, 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 I really think it's more. I don't think it's because there's been a concussion during the preseason or anything like that. I reckon it's they've looked at the rotations going back to full-length games and reducing rotations, and they, well, some of the coaches have got nervy about it, and they want to circumvent around the lack of rotations that they could, the um, interchanges they can have. Do you know what it almost reminds me of? Because it is, it's 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 so coach-driven and it's so protect your own rotations, protect your own strategy. It reminds me of when there's, you know, some government law, you know, they're going to give aid to a war-torn country or something that nobody could have any issue with. And then they tack on like, oh, and also there's a tax cut. Pass the bill. Yep. They just, they, they've taken something good, like the concussion sub or, you know, protection for concussed players and trying to look after your actual athletes, your, your employees. They've taken that and they've gone, yeah, it's pretty good. Tack on our thing though, and then we'll pass it. Absolutely. It's shocking. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't needed, and they, the sub rule that they had was universally hated, and now they they've effectively brought it back. It, it's the only difference between that and the old green vest, red vest, is you could legitimately just take a player off the ground for no reason at all. Now you have to feign an injury. Well, that's it. You have to feign an injury because there will be legitimate injuries that it gets used for, but. I can't imagine there's going to be too many games where it doesn't get triggered because someone always takes a knock. You can always find a sore body on your list. Yeah, or something like a cork. A cork is not a 12-day injury, but it can take you out of the game on game day or a rolled ankle. You know, there's, there's plenty of injuries that can basically mean you can't play, but you're good to go the following week. And it happens It happens every game. You see a guy like, uh, we'll put him, put him on ice for the match because he's, he's not good to go. The club's just going to turn around and go, yeah, we'll, we'll put him on ice and we'll we'll bring someone else on. And it's not going to be, you know, Dusty Martin's kicked five goals halfway through the last quarter and oh, he's got a bit of a knock. Oh, shit, we, we might pull him off. It's going to be it's going to be Ivan Soldo's having a shit game. He's not getting much of it. We need a bit of run. Let's bring on Josh Caddy or something. You know, pick your player. But it's going to be... You know that the 23rd player is going to be a running quick player. Well, interestingly enough, Carlton have gone the other way. This is the first example we've got on it. Carlton have picked Oscar McDonald, slapping a key backman as your as your injury sub, which I can't understand how that. You know, maybe maybe I'm just cynical. Maybe everyone is going to treat this fairly enough and and do it all. You know, not jump through the loophole that's staring them right in the face. Yeah, probably, but Carlton are probably not the best example because they're probably one of the dumbest clubs going around. Yeah, so. They're just too stupid to even cheat correctly, as we've seen in the past. Miguel, we mentioned before about the salary cap implications of this. That is that match payments exist outside of the salary cap. Uh, and also, given that you're a sub, you're only playing a shorter period of, of the game. You don't need to be expected to run out a full game. So do you think that there is a chance that if this rule had have existed in September last year, you know, at the immediate finish of last season, September, October, whenever you want to call it, before the list changes are lodged, before everybody gets delisted and traded, etc. Do you think there's some players who are currently out of football that might still be in work 
because I would suggest there's a demand for maybe veterans who can't run a full game. But Lewis can... Jetta, cop. Exactly. Yeah. Specifically that was Lewis the, Jetta. That's the name I was going to go for, yeah. I put this one to Scoey and he said, in short, yes, dot, dot, dot. In short, yes. He, he got, G'day, Scoey, if you're listening, by the way. Big fan of the pod. Um, but yeah. What do you mean, if? <laughs> well, I know. G'day, Scoey. This has cost somebody a job. I don't think it's that dramatic to say. You know, Maybe, maybe that's not even the, the first, second, third, fourth or fifth issue with this. But to me, I, I can't see how this hasn't cost somebody a job. Yeah, and probably. And yeah, Jeddah would be the perfect sub because you know we saw him. You know, he played as a midfielder in his time. He um, he was a backman for most of his time with us. He went forward you know, the, the second half of last year and looked all right in that role. So yeah, if you you want your twenty third man to be someone who's you know, got the versatility, and we saw that with the the sub when it you know, was in place for you know, five years that you know, it was being given to you know, midfielders and small players with a bit of versatility. And yeah, um, Jeddah would have been perfect for him. He could have. When he was fit, um, name him as the twenty-third man every second or third week, and he'd yeah come on. And yeah, if you lose a forward, he comes on and he plays forward. If you lose a back, he comes on and he plays with the backs. So yeah, it would have been um, perfect for him. Maybe not so much for Scoey. Sorry, Scoey, but could have got to two hundred. Even, yeah, even though Carlton have named a, a fullback as their medical sub tonight, I don't think that would be the norm that you'd be you'd be naming a, a six foot five. Um, Sort of fairly slow moving. Sorry, Scoey bloke. Scoey can do it all. Um, Come on. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't put it past him, but yeah, I don't think you'd be having the having no, six foot five fullback as your as your twenty third man too often. But yeah, um, Jeddah would definitely have been. Well, then when we get to teams, I think it'll be uh, you know, guys like Archie that uh, are versatile, and you, know, you can put them anywhere that that will be getting those twenty third man roles. Do you think, Miguel, that there's any chance that this will actually go punished? They've threatened that they could even punish uh, or take away, sanction draft picks. They reckon they could sanction as much as uh, premiership points if it's found that clubs are misusing this. To me, if the AFL are sanctioning clubs, they've acknowledged that there was a giant loophole and they failed to close it. Do you actually think we'll see any significant penalties fly around for misuse of the sub? Uh, Maybe they'll... They'll throw one out to make it uh, to um, make a scapegoat to someone like they did with tanking. You know, every, every team pretty much that was finishing in the bottom three or four wasn't trying to win at all. Um, you know, every year in and out, and then you know for some reason they just went ahead and pinged Melbourne for um, for tanking one year. So they might just nah, yeah, nah, throw it, one it, of those it, out. Absolutely no way there'll be a penalty because if they penalise someone, there'll be an admission that they fucked it up and they allowed a loophole to exist in the first place. So there's absolutely no chance that there'll be a penalty and no club is that stupid to make it so bleeding obvious that they can't find a little wormhole out to get out of it. There's no way. I just got to backtrack a little bit. This rule is now the second rule that had clubs known when it was important that cost Lewis Jeddery's spot on the list. Go back to list lodgements and drafting and trading and everything like that, we didn't know that there was going to be the standing on the mark rule. Who is a player that was on our list who would have been super well equipped to take advantage of that because of his kicking skills? And that's Lewis Jatter. Mm. If if we had known that rule was going to come in before we delisted him, we might have looked at it differently. If we had known we were going to get an extra match payment a year outside the salary cap that we could have just sat Jeddah on the pond for 23 matches, he'd still be on the list. You know, the AFL and their late decisions, we went into a draft period last year and the clubs didn't know what the list size or the salary cap was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I forgot right. about I, that. I mean, Jesus. You, you talk yeah. it, you know, they're just, this is a billion-dollar-a-year industry and they can't get simple things that impact livelihoods and careers and everything like that. Uh, Idiots, anyway. They don't want it to be. They don't want it to be a billion dollar year industry. They want it to be. Remember the eighties. Remember when the big hulking forward kicked a hundred goals, and then you'd see him down at the local. You know, they want it to be club and community, and they're terrified of it growing. They hate analytics. They hate data. They just want it the way they want it. It's but they uh, also they do they do also want the billion dollars though. Oh no, sorry, you get the money. Sorry, Miguel. Of course, you get the money. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole point. But yeah, far out. What a shocker. Round one, Sunday, 3.10pm at Optus, 
West Coast Eagles face the Gold Coast Suns a few days between now and then, gents. But I think, I hope, I pray that there won't be any rule changes between now and then, which means that we get to pick a team. It's not a team of 22. It's a team of 23. And uh, before we do that, I guess we'll quickly run through the injuries, the biggest ones that will affect selection. No Yo, of course, with the groin injury. No Shuey with the hammy. Bailey Williams is unavailable. Jack Waterman is unavailable. Uh, Tim Kelly and Josh Kennedy, good to go, albeit maybe rusty. Maybe they haven't had uh, you know heaps of heaps of match practice or match sim under their belt, but they have been given the tick. They're good to go. So, Miguel, we expect to see them, and I reckon we should run through the team line by line. We've seen historically Adam Simpson favour 7-8-7, seven, seven, you know, seven backs, eight mids slash rucks, and seven forwards. I'd expect him to keep going with that system. Let's assume he keeps going with that system. Miguel, I'll start with you, and I'll start with the back line. Who can we expect to see locked in for round one, and then who is sort of on the fringes, might get a game, maybe might not, down back? Uh, well, the four that are locked in are Barras, McGovern, Hearn, Shepherd. I'd almost add Cole to that. I think he's probably cemented his spot, so put him in there. And then you've got two spots left and three players uh, vying for it, which is um, Rotham, Nelson and Witherden. If I was picking, I'd probably leave Witherden out just on form, but I think uh, when we get to the other lines, they'll be a bit tall um, and that'll that'll affect Rotham's chances and also the fact that uh, if Oscar Allen's coming back, he can come back and sort of chop out a tall and, and provide that role that Rotham provides. So I think, uh, unfortunately for Roth, he's the one that, that misses out and uh, and Witherden, they'll they'll get games into and sort of try to get him comfortable with the rest of the back unit. And uh, yeah, Nelson, I think, is important as well. So just with his, his hardness and his uh, a bit of mongrel and um, a bit of shutdown ability as well. So, yeah, Rotham, the one to miss out for me. The trio of Shepard, Cole and Nelson... Just g'day to Alex Sexton if you're listening, mate. Um, I agree with you. Cole has almost moved into that lock category for me rather than on the fringes. Uh, he He's just terrific. He's great. He's recaptured the form. I love him. He kicks goals now. Tommy Cole, come on down. Keys, you've got to pick, assuming you agree with that, maybe you don't actually, but you've got to pick some somebody from Nelson, Witherden and Rotham to miss out. Uh, we didn't maybe love what we saw from Witherden in the preseason. He went a little bit under the radar, but we've obviously brought him in to play a role. Do you reckon he's going to feature in round one? Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything Miguel said. Yeah, Cole and Nelson, I think, have done enough to get in. And it just comes down to a choice between Rotham and Witherden. If I was picking a side, which I'm not, I would probably pick Rotham. But agree, height might be an issue, which means Witherden gets the nod. But yeah, you could flip it to call between Rotham and Witherden. Either one's going to be unlucky to miss out. But um, I imagine you'll see that it's going to be Rotham that misses. So that leaves our round one backline as uh, McGovern, Barras, Hearn, Shepard, Nelson, Cole, and let's say Witherden starts on the bench. They're the seven from the backs. Keys, the mids, there's plenty of locks in the mids. We've got to pick eight here. Historically, that's what they've gone with. So you've got Nick Nat, you've got Kelly, Gaff, Redden, Sheed, and Liam Duggan for the time being is being counted as a mid. There's six. Now, number seven has to be a second ruckman, you'd presume, unless you think we don't go with one. And then number eight, another midfield option. I think we're all trending towards Xavier O'Neill with that one. Talk us through the second ruck decision, who plays there, and then talk us through your options for that final midfielder spot. Yeah, I think Vardy's going to Bradbury his way into the second ruck spot. Not an ideal choice. I don't think in the preseason he's done anything to suggest his post-grand final woes are behind him. He's not having much influence, but the only other option besides Vardy is to, I suppose there's two options. Uh, one is to bring Edwards in as a second ruck. I think that's a mistake. The guys played a quarter of footy to throw him in as a second ruck to go up against, which, whose whilst he's not an elite level ruckman, he's a very capable ruckman, he's a pretty big body. Trying to get Edwards to bash into him from time to time and, and Sam Day as well. I think you're asking too much of the guy. The other option is to not play a bona fide second ruck and to make do with Oscar Allen, which I don't really want to see. I don't want to see Allen in the ruck anymore. I think he's too valuable. I don't want to see him getting beaten up in the ruck anymore. But that could be that could be an option that we use Allen as a backup and throw in another running player, given it's going to be a, a warm day. That's maybe the other option. But really, I'd, Simpson's pretty conservative with his selection, so I think he'll go with, he'll back Vardy in. And I just I hope Vardy sits down 
between now and Sunday watching the 2018 final series and just watches how he was crashing into Gorn and Grundy for 120 minutes and just bashing the f*** out of them. And he does the same thing to Wits because what we want from him is just that he's got that square head haircut, just go and just bash into Wits all game so that all he's doing is just helping soft him up and that knew to jump over the top of him. So, yeah, Barty Baruch by default almost. That last mid-spot, all the noises coming out of the club are saying how well O'Neill's done. He, he, had a, he had a good run in the derby, pre-season game. Uh, the other options, you've got Ainsworth, who is the favourite whipping boy for the board, and I don't... O'Neill's ahead of him. I, I, I like Ainsworth as a person and everything like that, but... If you're just looking at football ability, O'Neill's got him covered. Trues, as as good as he did playing the good one quarter in the dying stages of the derby, he's still too raw. And, you know, the other option is Brand has played for midfield time, but we're already looking at a tallish side, so I don't think we're going to bring in a six-foot-five wingman. So, yeah, I think it's O'Neill's spot for the time being until, until Shuey comes back in. And then... Things get interesting depending on how well uh, Redden, in particular, plays these first few matches because if things go a certain way this season, I could see O'Neill going past Redden as the sixth musketeer. Things do indeed get very interesting, specifically if Shuey and Yo start coming back towards the same time. The healthy Eagles side looks fantastic. That's going to be the challenge for the season is keeping them all on the park together. Miguel, moving things forward, we've got five locks in Kennedy, Darling, Ryan, Cripps and Allen. I think that's fair to say. You've then got to find seven players for the forward line, so you've got to find two more. That'll be two from the list of Petch, uh, Langdon and then maybe Jermaine Jones as well. One of those guys has to miss. We've also touched on potentially Archie maybe as a sub. He's a guy that played a lot of forward minutes last year as well. So if we're picking two from that group, who do you think is most likely to get a Guernsey in round one? Yeah, I sort of thought it was going to be this was going to be an easy decision because I'd I'd ruled Langdon out with his concussion and thought, well, that's it. That's it's, so it's Pitch and Jones now in those two spots. Um, Langdon, if he gets up and he it seems to be tracking well and and um, hopefully not suffering any ill effects from that head knock then he's probably a, a lock and I don't know I thought Jermaine Jones there was a lot of talk of him coming out of the pre uh, yeah out of the preseason so he's probably in I think and that means um that Petch misses out which is unfortunate but uh it's a good spot to be in to have guys like him and, and Rotham uh, not able to um, break into the team it means we've got a bit of depth but yeah I think um Jones you know we're all pretty bullish on Jones but I think his uh his creativity in the forward line and his um his forward pressure going to be really important for us this year. So, yeah, I've got him in there, and, and Langdon, I think, brings a lot of those those same qualities. So if he's fit, he comes in as well. Turning our attention away from the selected teams and onto the match itself, the Suns are a tough one to have early on in the season. We obviously will all remember the Eagles had a shocker against Gold Coast last year, really kick-started a really bad first stint in the hub as well. And the Suns started last year 3-1, and one, but Keys. They finished the season winning just one of their last 10 games. So you get them early and they're fired up, they're healthy, they're ready to go. You get them late, maybe some of the younger bodies start to wear down, a few injuries build up and the depth gets tested, that sort of stuff. Anyway, you play the cards as they're dealt and the Eagles face the Suns early on. Is there anything in particular that concerns you with this matchup against a Gold Coast Suns team that definitely looks like it's starting to build in the right direction? Yeah, I think the what we saw in that match last year is a side that, when they're up and about, they're pretty good around the contest of ball, especially you know, for a guy who was 18 years old. Raoul's strength over the ball and ability to win it was pretty exceptional. Um, but they're also quite quick on the outside, and that's not really a strength of ours. So we, we really need to be making sure that we're winning the clearances and the contested possessions in close because we don't really want them getting on the outside on us because they can expose us with leg speed. I'm hoping that the club the players are pretty stung by dropping that game to them by 40 points last year because as much as anything, that was the game that, you know, as much as it was only round two, that really did put a pretty big spike in our um, in our season and derailed it for a time. And we never, apart from that eight-game winning streak at home, it, it sort of put us behind the eight ball and we never really quite recovered fully from it. So that'll be a challenge. 
I think if our back line are, are up and about, I think we can control their forwards. And I think, again, our, our forwards should be too much for their defenders. So it just becomes a supply, which means we've got to win in the midfield. Because if we... I think if you look at the end of the game and if the inside 50s are equal, well, then we've won. If we've got a, a gap on the inside 50s, if we've got it in there, say, 10 more times, we're probably going to end up with a fairly healthy win. So it's just that contest around the ball and making sure our mids click and uh, find enough of it. That's where, particularly against the Suns, where the game we won and lost, and just trying to... They'll be up and about early. A bunch of young blokes, they'll be excited. Stewie Jew from that making the mark looks like a guy who's pulling the right reins with that group and can get them motivated. We're going to have to be ready for for them to be up early and uh, hopefully put them out of the contest quickly so that they don't think they're in with a sniff late in the game. So if I'm reading this correctly, the Eagles lost the inside 50 count in their final eight games of the season. Last year, they won the inside 50 count four times Lost at 13 times. So ominous signs there from what you're saying, Keys. We always tend to play with an inside 50 deficit. It's our efficiency that helps the club fire forward. So uh, definitely something to watch there. Miguel, swinging it to the other end of the field, the Suns have a lot of tall options. You know, we discussed maybe not picking Rotham or potentially even a guy like Jared Brander based on height and going in too tall. But the Suns have got King, they've got Lukosius, they've got Day. It's going to stretch the Eagles' back line, and then they do have a lot of crafty guys if the ball does hit the deck. So what do you make of... It's uh, it's a pretty settled back line, it must be said, with it and the only new face there. What do you make of, of their role in getting a win on Sunday? Yeah, Lukosius hasn't been playing up forward. I think he played on a wing in the in the um, community series game. He did for I think most of last yeah. year as well. Yeah, he ran a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, King and um, and Day are the two that you know, Barras and McGovern will take. And then um, uh, Sexton's sort of a mid-sized and a bit dangerous. Um, so, yeah, I think Shep gets him. Um, Rankin is is one that we'll have to watch. So whether that's yeah, Nelson or Cole, someone will, will have to do a shutdown job on him. Um, so, yeah, they've got a few little um, dangerous forwards, but I, I think our backs are up to it. Uh, and, yeah, down the other end as well, we've, we've got the opportunity to stretch them. If we go in with, uh, with Kennedy, Darling and Allen, and potentially arresting Ruck down there as well. well Vardy is arresting Ruck. I don't think we'd be arresting Nat Nui in the forward line. But, um, yeah, we've uh, really got the opportunity to stretch them. They don't bat too – really mix my metaphors there – bat too tall in the uh, in the back line. <laughs> We're off um, to a flyer. That's the round yeah. one. That's the title text. Well done. Bat, batting tall. Batting tall. Um, Cam Greenway. Yeah, good one. <laughs> Badge won't get that reference. Yeah, I have um, no idea what is that. Is that a baseball thing? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't have a lot of height in their back line. Um, you know, Sam Collins probably punches above his weight a bit. Ballard, similar. Yeah, haven't got too much else down there. So we do have, if we can get some clean ball in, we've got the opportunity to stretch them in the air down that end. So, yeah, we need to get some supply, though, which goes back to everything that Keyes said. 30 to 3 degrees and clear as day on uh, on Sunday, which will be great. Not a lot of tackles expected because the Suns ranked very low in tackles, 14th last season, the Eagles 17th. It's uh, And yet, as Key said, look, I think the contested ball is going to go a long way here. You've got Raul, you've got Anderson, Greenwood, who I've always been really high on as a bit of a bit of a uh, sort of poor man's Elliot Yo in a way, but just as physical. And it's, it's a big test for Redden, big test for Kelly and Sheed as well. Keys, what do you expect to see from Liam Duggan? He accumulated the ball pretty well in the preseason, and we saw him play a little bit in the midfield last year. But he's uh, the new streamlined 2021 edition of Liam Duggan is going to have to take on a little bit more of a creative role. Can we expect much from him this week, or a little bit too early to tell? A bit early to tell. In the back of my mind, I've got a thought that he might, um, with his sort of defensive background, that, that Simpson might go and sit Duggan on Rao, which I'm... I'd be intrigued to see if it happened because I think that would be something that I think Duggan could be quite adept at. But then the game against Fremantle, his running and link-up was really quite good and it sort of provided a different option to to Gaff, mainly because he gets a bit more length in his kicks than what Gaff does. So uh, the other thing I like about Duggan is his ferocity at a, at a loose ball, which will be important as well. So, yeah, I'd be interested to see how... Um, how Simpson uses him, and and then also what he does to combat Raoul, because I think he's the sort of guy that, even though he's only a few games into his career, 
I think he's a bit of a lightning rod for his teammates. If he's up and about, the team goes with him. Um, so if we can nullify him a little bit, it'll help. Just turning your attention away from the Suns-Eagles game that you're all here to actually listen about, uh, it has just... Well, it would appear that Carlton have activated the first ever medical sub and this key defender that we've all been lambasting them for selecting has come on, kicked a goal in four minutes uh, at Carlton. He had one goal in 81 games at Melbourne, one goal in four minutes at Carlton. So Oscar McDonald on, Jack Silvani off with an injured shoulder. Uh, sorry, Carlton. I guess guess we take it all back. <laughs> and McDonald about to kick uh, inside 50 again. So, yeah, he's been a, a uh, amazing sub. Just, just maybe, watching that now. Maybe we'll stick. Oscar Allen is our sub or something, or Rotham. He, he was when he was standing wanting to kick, and he was about five minutes off his line from the mark. If you do a line from the from the centre of the goals to where the players are marked, he was about five minutes away from where he should have been when he took his kick. Stupid f-ing rule. <laughs> I shouldn't have done it. That's my fault, guys. Sorry. We'll get things back on track. Miguel, you mentioned Archie. Do you think he has the inside track on the sub role due to his versatility? Or is it going to be perhaps the sort of thing where maybe you pick, let's say it's Petricelli that doesn't get picked from that small forward group. Maybe it's Langdon that doesn't get up from that small forward group. Do you pick somebody like that knowing full well, okay, we can push maybe Ryan up the ground. We've got versatility in Allen. You know, is it the sub that has to replace the injured player or do you think we've got a couple of options with a versatile lineup here? Yeah, I suppose that's um, that's possible. Um, Petch, the, the problem if you pick him is that I don't know that we can play him anywhere really but the forward line. So um, then you know, if a back goes down or a midfielder goes down, you've got to throw, throw cards around a bit, whereas you know, Archie basically... Oh, look, ScoMo's in the crowd. Um, sorry. <laughs> really really shouldn't have the game on while I'm recording. Um, this is the live up to the minute coverage that yeah. you're hearing, what, a day, two days, three days after it's happened? Oh, he's, yeah. looking, he's looking for someone to shoot. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. So, yeah, I think um, I think Archie's versatility or um, Ainsworth, possibly the other one. We saw him play midfield and forward. That'd go down well. Um, so, yeah, he's, yeah, well, it would, especially if he came on and kicked goal within four minutes. It would go really well. Yeah, Archie would be my pick for the uh, the 23rd man, though. Right, tip time. Here we go. Keys, I need the winner, I need the margin, and I need which eagle is going to impress us the most on Sunday. I think we win. I think we win by 24 points, and I think Tim Kelly is going to be best on ground because he's going to be stung by some of the criticism I've seen of him not having such a good year last year and comparing it to his two years at Geelong. I think he's a proud guy, and I think he's going to come out really wanting to um, establish himself, and I think he's going to have a cracking game. And Langdon's going to be the 23rd player because I reckon it's going to be really funny that the guy was concussed two weeks ago. <laughs> he's going to come on as a concussion slump. That's what they were going for, I'm sure, when they made this rule hilarity. Uh, Mikel, who's going to win by how much, and which eagle is going to impress us the most? Uh, yeah, well, I said off the top that we should expect to win 10 of our 12 home games. Uh, this would definitely be one of them, as well as uh, as much as Gold Coast haven't been the, the pushovers that we've seen in the past. Yeah, I think that, that loss against them, um, the start of last year, has been talked about a bit in the media, and I think that uh, the boys will be well aware of that, and it'll fire them up. Um, so I'll pick us. I've got 22 here, which is a little bit close to Keezer's, but never mind. I'll go for Ryan for the um, best on ground. He's um, he's had a really good preseason. I think he'll um, yeah he'll he'll enjoy the warm weather and uh, and the big crowd and um, and a bit of uh, freedom to go into the middle at times and and up forward and yeah he'll uh, he'll continue his his great form. Well, I also have twenty two, which is a little bit too close to Keys's and <laughs> probably very 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 close to Miguel's. So I'm, I'm I'll bump it oh, down. I guess we'll win by. 19, that'll do. Um, Andrew Gaff, for me, to have a big game. I don't think it's going to be a slam dunk win by any stretch, but you know, if you played this game 100 times, I think we're going to win 60, 70 of them, something like that. So I'll, I'll tip us 19 points. Andrew Gaff had 29 against the Suns last year in shortened quarters. He had 35 against them the year before. He had 32 the year prior to that. And the Eagles uh, pretty much own the Suns in Perth. So fingers crossed that that one can continue and we start the season 1-0 as we rightly, rightly deserve. All right, guys, that will do it from us this week. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for joining us again in season 2021. As I said off the top, you can always get in touch with us on Big Footy or on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend, tell your mum, tell your dog, tell whoever you want. 
and we just want to hear from uh, from all of you this year. Get in touch with the show, give us your reviews, and uh, yeah, it'll be fantastic to hear from you. Keys, it's been great hearing from you today. Fantastic rant as always. We can always count on you to yell at a cloud or two. So thank you very much for coming on and doing just that. Yep. And in the words of Adam Simpson, which should become immortal this season, f*** you, so f*** them. <laughs> That's Def- our new title. Oh well, I don't think that can. I don't think that's going to clear the censor. Uh, <laughs> I might have to put a fair few asterisks in that one. Uh, Miguel, thank you very much for coming on. Slightly cleaner rant from yourself, but an impressive one nonetheless. Thank you for coming on the show once more. Yeah, I had some uh, technical issues that um, that cut off my rant, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, so I didn't get the in, so I'll get get some in now. <laughs> Beautiful, love it. I'll be up all night editing this one. Thank you very much, guys. A lot of beeps, so fantastic work. <laughs> Sorry, uh, <about> that. <laughs> thank you very much for listening. <laughs> We'll talk to you next week. We'll be back to recap a big win against the Suns. We'll be previewing the round two clash. We'll be talking about whatever the latest bullshit from the AFL is, which I'm sure is imminent any second now. But until then, guys, all the best to the Eagles in round one, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.